Good evening. I'm Anthony Robustelli, author of I Want to Tell You, The Definitive Guide to the Music of the Beatles, and this is the Beatles' multi-track meltdown. Each week I'll be playing stripped-down, deconstructed mixes of classic Beatles songs, highlighting different instruments and vocals in a way that will truly amaze you. Imagine sitting in the control room at EMI Studios and having the opportunity to peel away the layers of a song, discovering new elements that you never knew existed. This is the closest you can get to that experience. So sit back, tune in, and enjoy the Beatles' multi-track meltdown. I'll make you maybe next time Tonight on the Beatles' multi-track meltdown, part two of the Get Back Sessions. After the Beatles completed work on the White Album on October 17, 1968, the group took a two-and-a-half-month break. Tensions had been high throughout the White Album sessions, to the point that Ringo quit for almost two weeks, and therefore did not participate in the recording of the first two songs on the White Album, Back in the USSR, and Dear Prudence. Of course, the next big idea for the Beatles came from Paul McCartney, and on January 2nd, 1969, the group reconvened in Twickenham Studios to be filmed rehearsing new material for a live television program much like the Hey Jude promo film done in September 1968. But after such a tense atmosphere during the White Album sessions, which concluded only 11 weeks prior, old wounds were soon opened, and within eight days, George Harrison would quit the Beatles. Tonight, we're going to begin with four George Harrison compositions, two that were never recorded, one that became his first and only A-side of a Beatles single, and the title track of his three-LP masterpiece, All Things Must Pass. By 1969, Harrison was writing songs on par with his bandmates Lennon and McCartney, but still could not get the same space on the albums. Let It Be only featured two Harris songs, although many more were auditioned and worked on during the Get Back sessions. Many of these songs were as good as, and some were better than what both Lennon and McCartney had to offer, but they were still passed over and wouldn't be released until 1970's All Things Must Pass. It was both a blessing and a curse to be a fledging songwriter in the Beatles. On one hand, Harrison was lucky to have watched two of the greatest songwriters of all time working and reworking songs on buses, vans, backstage, and in hotel rooms for a number of years. But the unfortunate reality of writing songs for a band that already had such prolific, incomparable songwriters was that his songs were rarely given the same time and effort as Lennon-McCartney compositions. George Martin takes some of the blame for this. I think the trouble with George was that he was never treated on the same level as having the same quality of songwriting by anyone, by John, by Paul, or by me. I'm as guilty in that respect. I was the guy who used to say, if he's got a song, we'll let him have it on the album, very condescendingly. In this type of atmosphere, it is no surprise that Harrison withdrew from songwriting for so long, and unfortunate as it may seem, at this point his main concern was to be a formidable lead guitarist. After Don't Bother Me was recorded for the Beatles' second LP with the Beatles, Harrison would not have an original song on record until their fifth album, Help, released nearly two years later. With Lennon and McCartney consistently providing such amazing songs and giving little support to Harrison, it made it hard to bring his compositions to the table and caused him to concentrate more on his playing until 1965. Harrison elaborated in a 1970 interview. The problem was that John and Paul had written songs for so long it was difficult, first of all because they had such a lot of tunes that they automatically thought that theirs should be priority. So for me, I'd always have to wait through ten of their songs before they'd even listen to one of mine. I had a little encouragement from time to time, but it was very little. It was like they were doing me a favor. I didn't have much confidence in writing songs because of that. Because they never said, yeah, that's a good song. And also, I suppose at that time, I didn't have as much confidence when it came down to pushing my own material as I have now. So it took a while. He also stated that John and Paul had an advantage over him having written most of their bad songs before we got into the recording studio. For me, I had to come from nowhere and start writing and to have something at least quality enough to be able to put it in the record with all their wondrous hits. 
Lennon apparently agreed. Paul and I really carved up the empire between us. George didn't even used to sing when we brought him into the group. He was a guitarist. He just wasn't in the same league for a long time. That's not putting him down. He just hadn't had the practice writing that we had. Surprisingly, McCartney stated in the Beatles anthology that he and Lennon considered including Harrison as a writing partner in the early days. It was an option to include George in the songwriting team. John and I had really talked about it. I remember walking up past Walton Church with John one morning, going over the question, without wanting to be too mean to George, should three of us write or would it be better to keep it simple? We decided we'd just keep to two of us. During the Get Back sessions, George played a beautiful song that we can assume is called Ramblin' Woman. After spending time with Bob Dylan and the band in Woodstock in late 1968, he was heavily influenced by both Dylan's songwriting and the way that the band approached recording sessions. He played the song on two occasions, the 3rd and 9th of January. The beginning of the version from the 3rd is marred by Ringo's out-of-key piano plunking, but he soon stops and McCartney joins in for some light harmony work. Before he approached on the 9th, some lyrics were changed, and it was played a bit faster. It's unfortunate that it was never officially recorded by either the Beatles or by Harrison, because it's a fantastic song with some interesting chord changes and a cool feel. We'll then hear a take of All Things Must Pass from January 8th. They would work on the song on six separate days, the 2nd, 3rd, 6th, 8th, 28th, and 29th, with varying degrees of success. This version from the 8th has nice harmonies from John and Paul, but John's amateurish piano playing takes away from an otherwise nice attempt at the song. Luckily, the piano is very light in the mix and doesn't affect the flow too much. Next up, another Harrison song that would never see released by the Beatles or by Harrison himself. Window Window is a pretty song with a waltz feel that Harrison briefly considered for All Things Must Pass. He played it a few times during the Get Back sessions, but each time it was marred by others playing on top of it. One time McCartney played The Long and Winding Road, and on another occasion John played Two of Us while Harrison was playing this tender ballad. Luckily, we have a short fragment of Harrison playing it on acoustic guitar while singing that is not spoiled by extraneous playing. We'll close out the George Harrison portion of the program with a composition that Frank Sinatra stated was his favorite Lennon-McCartney song, and in his opinion, the best love song ever written. By the time the group recorded their final album in 1969, Harrison had penned what many believe are the two best songs on Abbey Road, Here Comes the Sun and Something. Borrowing the first line of Apple recording artist James Taylor's Something in the Way She Moves, Harrison created one of the Beatles' most beautiful compositions and his first A-side of a single. Written by George on the piano, the song had been attempted during the get-back sessions and later demoed by George on February 28, 1969, with him on piano and guitar. Many people, including Patty Harrison, believed it was written about her, but in a 1996 interview, George denied this, stating that he was thinking about Ray Charles when he wrote it. Tonight we're going to hear one of the rehearsals of the song, recorded on January 28th with Billy Preston on organ. Four Harris songs. Did you read that, uh, about this thing you I didn't plan to get it on. Oh yeah, I just read a little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. It only just arrived. Just...
Charlotte Pepper. Hier nog een dress. Dus wij nou I Want You, She's So Heavy would be one of the highlights of the Abbey Road LP, at one time even considered as a possible final song until the medley took shape. This remarkable song was recorded over six sessions at both Trident and EMI Studios. The final version ended up being an edit of two similar, but not identical mixes. Since Lennon had done different overdubs over two versions of the same backing track, there were in effect two different versions, and until August 20th, 1969, Lennon was unsure as to which version he wanted to release. By editing the two together, he got what he wanted. But the song got its debut on January 28, 1969, when John, Ringo, and Billy Preston played an incredibly funky version of the tune with Billy on piano and trading lead vocals with John. The song would eventually have the She's So Heavy part added, but at this point, it is basically a jam on the verse. Although it's a bit repetitive, it is extremely different from the release version, and Preston's involvement makes it truly worth a listen. After they finished jamming on I Want You, Billy took the lead singing the Ray Charles song Sticks and Stones, followed by what is apparently an unreleased Preston tune called Unless He Has a Song. Lennon adds a bit of guitar to the proceedings, but it's mostly Preston and Starr, a fascinating combo. Some funky jams from the trio of Lennon, Preston, and Starr. Yeah. Oh, did the fix up be flat here? 
Sure. My cousin is coming in This is roll 540, slate 413, camera A continues.
A. I'm drinking tea on it.
Welcome back to the Beatles' multi-track meltdown, the Get Back Sessions Part 2. John was never happy with the version of Across the Universe that was recorded in February 1968, and at this point still unreleased. When the group entered EMI Studio 2 to record a single for release during their absence on their forthcoming trip to India, both Paul and John had songs that they would offer, McCartney's Lady Madonna and Lennon's Across the Universe. Both tracks were recorded, along with Lennon's Hey Bulldog and the vocal track for George's The Inner Light, between the 3rd and 11th of February, 1968. Lady Madonna and The Inner Light were chosen for the single, so for the time being, both of Lennon's tracks were shelved. The basic track was successfully recorded on February 4th, with the rhythm track of acoustic guitar, percussion, sitar, tambora, and a bit of piano. Two teenage fans, Lizzie Bravo and Gaylene Peace, were invited in off the street to provide backing vocals, which led Lennon to believe that his song was being sabotaged. He still wasn't satisfied with the feel of the track, and several sound effects were taped, including 15 seconds of humming and a guitar and a harp-like sound both to be played backwards. However, none of these were used on the release version. When the group returned from Rishikesh, they had so much new material that they weren't concerned with older numbers, and Across the Universe remained on the shelf. In the autumn of 68, the song was considered for an EP, including most of the songs from the Yellow Submarine album, and although they went as far as having the EP mastered, it was never released. During the initial February 68 sessions, Spike Milligan was in the studio and suggested Across the Universe for a charity album that he was organizing for the World Wildlife Fund. The Beatles agreed, and in January 69, it was remixed for the charity album, and the track was sped up, raising the key to E-flat. The Beatles attempted a remake in January of 69, but Lennon couldn't remember the words, so Mal Evans would place a call to the Apple office so that they can get a copy of them from publisher Dick James. They would also obtain a record player and a copy of the acetate so that they could listen to the original version in the studio. After attempts on the 6th and 7th, this take on the 9th is the last full take of the song. Unfortunately, none of these attempts would be officially released, and the somewhat saccharine Phil Spector mix would become the definitive version. This take is a bit heavier, with Leslie guitar and some very 67-sounding pounding drums. Across the Universe.
Next, we're going to feature two Lennon compositions sung by McCartney. The first, I'm So Tired, was written while in Rishikesh during a bout of insomnia. It was originally recorded for the White Album and completed in one session on October 8, 1968, a day before Lennon's 28th birthday. The group also started and completed the continuing story of Bungalow Bill at the same session. Lennon later said of I'm So Tired, one of my favorite tracks. I just like the sound of it, and I sing it well. On January 3rd, 1969, the Beatles played a surprisingly competent version with McCartney taking the lead vocals and Lennon and Harrison supplying the backing vocals. It's funny to hear McCartney attempting to recreate the mumbling heard at the end of the original track. We'll then hear a slightly bluesy piano and vocal version of Strawberry Fields Forever. Lennon plays a bit of guitar in the background and McCartney stops playing for a moment to hear engineer Glyn Johns tell them about his misfortune of having an auto accident with a police car on the way to the studio. Two Lennon songs with McCartney on lead vocals. I'm so tired, I haven't slept a wing. I'm so tired, my mind is on the blink. I wonder, should I call you and get myself a drink? No, 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 no. Lay off the booze, boy, cause I'm so tired. I don't know what to do, don't know what to do I'm so tired, my mind is set on you I wonder should I go, but I know 
On January 24th, McCartney played a song that was his ode to the Beatles' various pets titled There You Go, Eddie. It's a curious piece, but has a nice melody and chord progression, so I've included an edited version of it here. We'll then hear an alternate version of the hard-rocking I've Got a Feeling from January 28th. It was one of the most rehearsed songs during the Get Back sessions, being played on 15 out of 20 days. The song was a combination of McCartney's I've Got a Feeling and Lennon's Everybody Had a Hard Year and would be a highlight of the rooftop concert played on January 30th. We'll close the show with a Bob Dylan song recorded by the band for their debut LP, Music from Big Pink, released in 1968. I Shall Be Released was also recorded by Dylan on two different occasions. The first, recorded with the band during the Basement Tape Sessions in 67 and released in 1991, and a remake from 1971 that ended up on Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits Volume 2. This take features Harrison on lead vocals, accompanied by himself and Lennon on guitars. Eddie, 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 
pretend that you're one of the boys But you know that you've just been barking too loud And you know that I can't stand the noise There you go, baby <laughs> Baby Baby Everybody had a good year. I'm feeling like 
Everybody put the socks up. Oh no. Everybody let the foot Anthony Robustelli, author of I Want to Tell You, The Definitive Guide to the Music of the Beatles, Volume 1, 1962-1963, and you've been listening to the Get Back Sessions on the Beatles' multi-track Melton. Tune in every Sunday night, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, to hear more deconstructed mixes of classic Beatles songs, live recordings, and solo tracks. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at ShadyBearBKLYN, and like the Facebook page for the book I want to tell you. You can pick it up at Amazon.com or at the website, TheBeatlesIWantToTellYou.com. See you next week.